0: Hi, this is Hope. This is Chris. Hi, this is Katie from Washington D.C. and you're listening to nomi Athlete
1: Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nomi Athlete Radio. I am Matt Frazier, joined as always by Doug Hay. I feel like I need uh, a
0: sound that would be really good if, like, every time I came in, it had there was like a theme music, a theme for music kind of thing just for me
1: not a bad idea. What if we each have theme music? We kind of do. We have a podcast theme music. Oh, yeah. All right. There we go. (laughs) Scrap that idea. (laughs) Anyway, we're back with part two of our Rich Roll interview. If you missed part one, go check it out. Uh, You can go to iTunes.com or iTunes Store, I should say, and look for uh, No Meat Athlete in there. Uh, Or if you're already subscribed, just go look back in your feed and find part one. There you go. (laughs) So this is an interview that Rich and I did for the No Meat Athlete Academy. Uh, We did it last month in marshall texas where we both were for the marshall health fest which is a really cool event uh, you should definitely try to come fairly certain that i will be back there just because I've, i talked to the people about that nothing is set in stone or anything um so very very good fun event something that i left with uh a lot of a lot of renewed energy about this whole lifestyle and everything so anyway that's a side note so again i do want to mention rich's book i don't want to like you know, jam it down people's throats. But I'm just extremely grateful that he would take the time to do a seminar and do a QA session with our Academy members uh, and just want to promote his book. And it's a great book, too. It's called The Plant Power Way. Comes out April 28th. You can pre order it now if you go to richvold.com. There's lots of instructions about how you can do that and then send him your receipt and get a bunch of bonuses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Great book. I looked through it. Um, and, you know, we talk about it plenty in the interview. So you can you'll hear about it there, or you probably have heard about it there. But anyway, just want to want to push that a little bit for Rich. All right, um, and then the last thing to mention before we get to it is that this was a seminar. It's for the No Meat Athlete Academy. We certainly don't share all the No Meat Athlete Academy seminars on the podcast, but kind of in this special case because we're getting ready to reopen it next week uh, and I'm gonna accept members again. Just wanted to we're kind of you know teasing a little bit, promoting it a little bit, and sharing some of the some of the best content. So that's what we did last week with some of the some of the best clips from some of our favorite seminars and this week of course has been rituals interview for us so other than that i don't think there's anything else let's uh let's get to it all right all right let's shift to uh to training a little bit not not too much but you you planted the seed we're in gonna talk program. about how
2: you killed me in the 5k this morning
1: yeah <laughs> I, I immediately tweeted that everywhere I made a new hashtag <laughs> uh-huh.
2: matt beat rich um
1: yeah, man, five Ks are, are awful, aren't they?
2: I don't, I couldn't tell you the last time I ran a five K. I was like, what's going on? I just woke up. I got out of my car and everyone starts sprinting, you know, and I'm like, this is you not. He strode up to like, the start
1: line like five. Seconds I'm a diesel, before the gun went off. you know.
2: It takes me five K to get warmed up. You know, when we were right. done, I was like, all right, let's go run now. But I can't run that fast.
1: No, I I can't either.
2: Um, so with finding ultra,
1: you kind of planted the seed in our mind and teased us a little bit with this with this training philosophy that that you did. And I know it's not a magic bullet, but I think people. Uh, got got the sense because of of the, what you did and the way that you became an elite endurance athlete so quickly after after mm-hmm. being you know a couch potato. Um, but you mentioned the, the how that you trained for months and months at this very very low intensity mm-hmm. before ever allowing yourself to to let your heart rate get over a certain thing. I don't even know if you used heart rate, but letting yourself get into another train uh, zone of intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit more than you did there about? What what that is? Is there is there a specific approach that it was that has a name that someone can look up and, mm-hmm. and go do themselves, or is it just your own thing?
2: Yeah, I mean it's essentially the Maffetone method, mm-hmm. really. Um, is it? I think it's Phil, Phil Maffetone. Yeah. Is I think he's the one who really pioneered this approach, and it's it's become adopted and used by many a triathlon coach and a running coach. Uh, and this is the philosophy of the coach that I worked with, named Chris Houth. Uh, it's also, uh, I believe. Um, still the predominant approach of guys like Joe Friel and Gordo Byrne, who've written books on this, everything from the Triathletes Training Bible to Going Long, which is a book those two guys co-authored. And essentially, the approach is um, taking a look at how our body metabolizes um, the two systems that our body uses to create energy, right? So we have this aerobic engine in our body, which is when our body is metabolizing oxygen and fat for fuel. And that's the, the system that our body harnesses when we're exerting ourselves at a relatively congenial level, right? It's called like conversational pace in running. Right. Like if you can carry on a conversation when you're running, then you're probably in your fat burning aerobic zone. Uh, once you exceed that aerobic threshold, you go into what's called the anaerobic zone, and that's when the body has to start shifting into using glycogen for fuel. And it's not an on-off switch. It's a it's a spectrum, right? The more you exert yourself, the more you're relying on sugar for fuel as opposed to fat uh, until like you get into the higher zones where you're reliant on glycogen completely. When you're in your aerobic zone, you literally, no matter how skinny you are, you have enough Fat stores to basically fuel you forever. <laughs> you know, you could, you're never going to run out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the anaerobic zone, you have about 45 minutes of glycogen stores that you can expend for that effort. Uh, so, for example, when you're running a 5K and you're on the rivet, you're in the anaerobic zone, right? Once you sort of approach that, you know, 45 minute mark you're going to need to replenish those glycogen stores if you want to continue to exert yourself at that level. So the approach that that I took in training for Ultraman, which is a three-day double Ironman race, is understanding that um, the way to success is really to develop my efficiency and my capacity in that aerobic zone. And the way that you do that is by training in that zone. And when you train in that zone, you are developing uh, – uh, a denser mitochondria and additional blood pathways to those cells and those mitochondria. And over time, you become quite efficient as a machine in that zone, right? And so that allows you to go longer at that rate. So I definitely trained with heart rate. And I remember when I began, you know, the marching orders were when you were like, I, I did a blood lactate test, which determined what my heart rate zones would be. And for me specifically, uh, it meant that when I was running, my heart rate could not exceed 140 beats per minute. And it's funny because people, like, read that and then they take that and they think 140 is for them, (laughs) you you know, and it's like, no, that was just specific for me. Um, And I remember when I first began, you know, it was difficult for me to break a 10-minute-per-mile pace without exceeding that. And instead of going out and running faster to become a faster runner, like, well, if I want to run – Eight-minute pace or seven thirty pace. Then I need to run that pace. Uh, I took a contrarian approach, which was to just remain running at that aerobic threshold of one hundred forty beats per minute. And what I found is that over time, my body started to acclimate. And what used to be a ten-minute per mile pace became a nine thirty, became a nine. Until you know, by the time I was at Ultraman two thousand eleven, which was the last time I did it, you know, I could easily run six thirties at without going over 140, which allows me to run faster but not get into that sugar-burning zone, which you can't sustain in a very long race. Right,
1: right. So you were training right at right at the threshold?
2: Yeah, I would try to be, like, sort of just below it. Okay. Just below it. Okay. And that's not to say that I never did tempo work either, but I would say the vast majority of the work that I was doing was aerobic zone work.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and for anyone listening to this who doesn't have – the means or the desire to get a, a blood lactate test, um, you can estimate this. I mean, it's not the best way to do it for sure, but there are formulas and things like that that will estimate. Yeah, it. Joe
2: Freil's got a formula online somewhere where you can go to a track and you can kind of pretty closely figure out what your zones are going to be. Yeah, and I think I would just say, you know, add to this that the the biggest mistake that I think people make is is uh, they, okay. Like they want to be a runner, right? They're training for a 10k or a marathon or whatever it is. They've got an hour, they've got 45 minutes to run, and they just go out and bang it out and just run like the pace that they feel like they can sustain for that period of time. Right. And ultimately, in general, what that means is most people are training in what we call the gray zone. And I don't know if you've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's, it's probably where most people are spending most of their time. Yeah. And that gray zone is that is that sort of place that's in between developing your aerobic capacity and developing your anaerobic capacity. So you're running too hard to really maximize that opportunity to uh, increase your aerobic base, but you're not running hard enough to increase your speed or your strength. So you will reach a certain level of proficiency doing that. But you're going to quickly hit up against a glass ceiling that you're going to have difficulty breaking through. So that's when you see people that have been going out and and running these races for a long time, and they're just running the same time, and they're Mm -hmm. frustrated. Why can't I get faster? Um, It's probably because instead of doing their training at one polarity or the other, they're spending too much time in the middle.
1: Right. Yeah. Peaks and valleys is what what I say. Right. Exactly. Don't do that middle zone. Just one or the other. It's either an easy day or it's a hard day. And Mm -hmm. it's never. And pick your hard
2: days. And don't be afraid to go easy. I think going easy is a discipline. You know, you have holding back. It's like because you want to be competitive, or if you're out running and there's other people running around, you don't want to get past. There's some ego that comes into that. Mm -hmm. So it's a specific discipline to say no. Today is my easy day i'm gonna let that soccer mom run right by me even though you know maybe that doesn't feel good and just like you gotta let go of that you gotta look at the bigger picture
1: yeah that's one reason actually i do like heart monitor training because until i actually got one and put it on for every run including my easy runs first of all you didn't realize how easy easy should be Mm -hmm. and it felt like you were doing easy but it turned out it wasn't easy enough as you said with the 10 minute mile um but but if you have that thing beeping at you every single time it hits this number, and then you've got to stop, no matter how boring it mm-hmm. feels and how, how just you just want to go fast. That's that for me. That's how I learned that discipline. That's how I understood and came to actually love what that felt like. Because then right. you can listen to a podcast or whatever, meditate. I mean, you can do your your mind's in an interesting state when you're in 45 minutes. Into yeah, it a becomes run that an
2: place. active meditation, and it also becomes more enjoyable it's because true. you're not like, you know, like you can actually really start to enjoy your running. And 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 one thing that I noticed that I think is interesting that that maybe your listeners might be interested in hearing is I've had the fortune of of being able to. Um, ride with some pretty amazing cyclists, Tour de France cyclists, and I think people would be shocked at how much of the riding that these guys do is super casual. Like uh-huh. coffee shop riding. Like Whew. they'll go out and they they're professionals. This is what they do every day. They get up and they get on their bike, but a lot and they and they pick their moments and they have their hard days, but a lot of the riding they do is saddle time. It's just it's just low grade aerobic zone. Go out with your buddies, have a conversation. And when you're doing that, your body just becomes more and more and more efficient at that exercise. Right, right. Yeah, Matt Fitzgerald has a book out
1: called eighty twenty. Nothing to do with the eighty mm-hmm. twenty we mentioned earlier. Um, but I think he's—I think he's saying—I haven't read it, but I think it's eighty percent of your miles are at a page like that, where it's, right. it's that easy.
2: And so I get—I get kind of—and there are other ways to train. Like if you talk to Brian McKenzie, he'll tell you this is all nonsense. Yes, yeah, right. right? Um, CrossFit endurance, right? Yeah. So so. Um, there are other ways of achieving your goal, but I think if you really want to – I think that my opinion is that if you really want to maximize your performance, that this is the best approach, um, but it requires more time. Like if, you, if you're if you super time crunched, then Brian might have a better approach because he'll get you ready for a marathon in 20% of the time that it will mm-hmm. take on the mafetone method. But I think if you really want to if you, – if your goal is to maximize your performance and really achieve your potential – that I think this is the best way. But it is a, it's a time investment to do that. So when people say stop running all those junk miles, I don't, they're not junk miles. You know? I don't think there's any such thing as a junk mile because when you're running, it's an opportunity to work on your form and be conscious of your stride. And you, there's always things that you can be working on. It's junk miles only if you're just going out and you're completely checked out as to what you're doing. Gotcha.
1: All right. Last thing about about that particular philosophy. Um, when when did you know that it was okay? Because I think you said in the book that it was like several months you did and you did not go did not exceed this one forty. At what point did you say okay? Now I can start sprinkling in the tempo runs or mm. whatever else.
2: Yeah, I don't remember specifically, but I was so new to all of it that that I did spend a lot of time, in that it was almost like learning how to train so that I could train, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like learning how to properly ride a bike, learning what it means to have an effective, efficient stride in running and just acclimating to, to my body moving more. Um, and, and making sure that I think you have to, you have to prepare your joints for the hard training to come. And that's another reason to do the, the sort of lower intensity work. Um, And that's how you ultimately prevent injury, right? Like if you go out and you go too hard too soon, your body's not ready for it. Like your lungs and your heart will develop much more quickly than your muscles and your joints. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when in doubt, I always do less, you know, especially with running because how many, you know, it's like everybody gets injured, right? So to the extent that you can approach your training from a perspective of injury prevention – you're, you're going to end up, even though maybe you feel like you're doing less in the short run. If you remain injury-free, ultimately you're going to be running a lot more than yeah. most people. Right? That's a huge part of it. Just mm-hmm. being out
1: there running and not sidelined for two or three or four years. That's right. that's how you get fa- That's how I got faster. Just just mm-hmm. consistently doing it. Uh, how about cross training? I mean, triathlon itself is is cross training. But uh, I mean, if, if someone's just running, and I think most of our audience is probably just runners. Uh, do you think cross training or, or weightlifting or anything like that plays a role, or is it more just run? And, and if you want to get better at running, then run.
2: Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it's important, uh, and I think it's particularly important. I mean, I'm 48 now, and I think it becomes more and more important for me. And my preference is always to go outside and go running. I'm not a gym rat. I don't really enjoy being in the gym, uh, but I recognize the importance of of being um, being consistent in that. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One of which is, you know, as you age, you can continue to develop your aerobic capacity, your endurance, uh, but it becomes more and more difficult to remain strong, like you lose your power and you lose your speed. And in order to try to stay on top of that, I think it's important to do some strength work in the gym. Um, For me, that revolves mostly around core work. And by that, I don't mean just sit-ups, like a real, you know, Core routine that takes me about 45 minutes. And it's, and I hate doing it. I absolutely (laughs) hate it. Like, I just can't stand it. You know, I have to force myself to do it, especially when I haven't been doing it in a long time because it's really painful and it doesn't feel good at all. But I notice how much it helps me, not just in running, but in swimming and in cycling. Like, my form and my technique become so much better. And when I have, when I can feel that power in my midsection throughout my back and my abdomens, um, it anchors your whole body. And so it allows you to um, not only have a better running stride, but to be able to maintain that that, um, that stride and that efficiency when you start to get tired. So instead of, like, breaking down and you start to hunch over, you know, you hit mile 18 in the marathon, you're still able to hold that form. And I think that that's super important. And I also think it's super important for injury prevention. Um, you know, a lot of injuries in running come from, uh, asymmetries in the body or, um, atrophies of other muscles. Like if all you do is you go out and run well, there are other muscles that stabilize your joints, help you keep your form proper because when you're, when it's, when it's not, and you get weak, then you're going to start favoring one side or the other, or you're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to be leaning the wrong way. And ultimately because running is a repetitive exercise, that's going to cause injury and that's not something that sliding a little thing under your heel in your shoe is going to fix Mm -hmm. that's sort of like taking you know viagra and you know which is just addressing a symptom as opposed to getting at the cause of something
1: gotcha all right so i think it'd be a mistake to uh to spend an hour interviewing ritual and not ask a question about the mind body side of stuff which which Uh runs through everything you do runs through your podcast because your podcast is not a food and fitness podcast now i mean it's Mm -mm. it's about it's about the whole picture uh, runs through the, throughout the book. There's there's I think most of the recipes have a little logo of a of a meditation person, yeah. <laughs> or was that just one yeah, that, yeah, on yeah. a certain plan? I don't know.
2: I think that's on one of the, on one of the plans, but but definitely. I'm sorry. Were you done? Were you no, done I mean, arguing? I mean,
1: that's you know, I don't have a specific yeah. question. Just like how what what, <clears throat> what should people do? Like someone who doesn't have that element to their life. Um, I mean where do, where do you start and then what for you what is it like where do you do you, you meditate every single day is it is it a, something you don't miss or mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's a great question I think that uh, you know wellness is a comprehensive term you know we talk about what health and wellness and, and what does that actually mean and for most people that means healthy diet a little exercise you know whatever everybody has their personal definition of that but I think it's sort of a reductionist approach and I, I think that that, uh, you know, true wellness is a balanced approach to mind, body, and spirit. And to be sure, that begins with what you put on your plate and what you put in your mouth um, and extends from that into how you move your body. Uh, I don't believe that you can out-train a bad diet. So you can't be imbalanced in any one of these things. And I think the people that are truly well and are really able to tap into and access uh, their – their potential are people that are really balanced across all of these disciplines, right? So you can be eating, you know, the Dr. Esselstyn diet, but if you're bananas, like how healthy are you, right? Or if you're not moving your body, you're eating right, how healthy are you? If all you're doing is meditating all day, but you're eating pork rinds, you know, then that's not healthy either. Um, And, you know, balance is difficult for me. You know, I'm an extreme personality and and you know, being busy and trying to juggle lots of different things, balance is a very tricky equation for me. And I'm always, I'm always chasing it, you know. But I'm, I'm unable to ever like perfect that equation. And a friend of mine I've had on the podcast, Dan McPherson, said it really well. He said, "Um, when you look at the macro, my life looks balanced, but in the micro, the day to day, it's a vacillation of extremes, right? <laughs> like." You know, either you're working super hard, or then you're training super hard, or whatever. Like from the outside, you look, oh, you're doing all these things, and all looks good. But like on a day-to-day basis, the pendulum is swinging one direction or the other. And and for me, it, you know, as my life gets busier, which is a gift of all these things that I've been doing, um, you know, I get more anxious. I have a lot of anxiety. I'm never going to be able to answer all the emails. There's all kinds of loose ends out there that make me uncomfortable yeah. and keep me up at night. Uh, and so meditation has become more and more important, and that's something that I've struggled with over the years. Like I first got introduced to meditation when I was in <laughs> rehab uh, many years ago, and and I've I've struggled with trying to find a way to implement it into my life in a in a sustainable way. Like I'll go through spurts, right? I'll meditate for a while, then I burn out, then I don't do it. Um, and I've been able to get into a pretty good groove lately. A because I made a decision that I really needed to commit to it if I wanted to be more grounded. And, uh, and B, the way that I've sort of been able to follow through on it is I just – I started using the Headspace app, mm-hmm. which is a, it's just an iPhone app. Uh, and it's got guided meditation programs on it by this guy called Andy Pudicombe, who's sort of become like the Jamie Oliver of meditation. He's a really cool guy. I interviewed him for my podcast. I haven't aired that episode yet. But he he is the real deal. Like the guy lived as a monk for like six years in seclusion He's probably put in his fifty thousand hours of meditation, mm-hmm. and he kind of reentered the world and has created this business where he 's wanting to help other people kind of access these things in a very in a very non dogmatic approach like it 's sort of stripped of all its woo woo and it 's just very direct and um, what 's great about that the the app, which I put onto the bottom thing of my iPhone, so it 's always like one of the first uh-huh. apps I see, is I just push it and I have a twenty minute program right there. Um, and I can start my day that way. And it, it sort of has created like a little bit of accountability for me because I know it's there and I've made a priority of doing it every day. And my life has changed dramatically, yeah. like not in any kind of outside way, but just the way that I'm kind of able to ne- to navigate the day-to-day stress that I face. I feel like I, I can manage it better and I'm more efficient and more proficient and kind of moving through it um, and just more grounded and more balanced. So I'm less likely to you know just sort of like be reactive i suppose and and i'm able to be more grounded and mindful in that approach yeah, yeah. um and that's just my version of that you know i i think that you know, there's some, there's a, there's a mindful, there's a, there's a mindfulness and an active meditation aspect of running and cycling and swimming that we can all access, and probably your listeners are familiar with. But I also think that there's something to be said for formalizing it a little bit. The quality of meditation that I do when I really just start the day and sit quietly and do this guided meditation is different than the kind of meditation that I do when I'm out just in my aerobic zone, mm-hmm. you know, training. Um, so. And that, and I think that that then spills over into emotional health, and mental health, and and you know how I interact with other people, and how I how I connect with my wife and my children, and the priorities that I set set out for what I want to do that day. Um, and I think it's a cool time where people are more open to it than they have been in recent years. So that's exciting, and I think it's. I think it's equally important to all these other things: diet, fitness, nutrition, all of that. I think being being balanced and making sure that you are addressing all of these things. Listen, you know, if you need to go to therapy and work through some stuff, then I think that you know everybody should do that. And last night I had I sat down with Josh Lajani to do a podcast. Who's this amazing guy who's lost two hundred pounds? He was like a four hundred pound guy. Now he's running marathons. He just ran his first ultra. And I asked him, I was like, "What do you think it is?" that you did that has allowed you to transcend this predicament that you were in that really has you know, so many people struggle with. And he said that the, main, the most important thing, it didn't have to do with changing his diet. It had to do with starting to um, invest in his emotional health. Like, you know, when you're that overweight, you become very self-defeatist. You become very pessimistic. You deflect you have to become a comedian to make other people comfortable around your, you know, your girth, and and with that comes a level of shame that runs really deep. And for him, the challenge was to start telling a new story about himself, to believe in himself, and like Garth Davis said today, to become his own hero. And when he was able, and he and he went and he saw somebody, you know, and he talked about it with somebody who helped him get to that place. And I think that that has been the key that's been able to, um, you know, keep him on the path moving forward and continuing to grow. So it's not just about, cha- you know, having this willpower to change your diet. Like he really had to change how he perceived himself. Mm-hmm. And that's an emotional thing. That's a mental thing. That's a spiritual thing.
1: Yeah. And it seems that for many people that that does come from from awareness, awareness mm-hmm. of, and mindfulness, and that's that's what meditation seems to absolutely to really help with. I'm, w- one of the motivations for me about meditation, because I, like you, have never really been able to do it sustainably it's something i go in spurts with and then stop when life gets busy which is kind of exactly the point you know? mm-hmm. yeah um but the tim Ferriss podcast he he talks to a lot of just superstars in everything the busiest people you can imagine and what seems to be the common factor like the common success factor if that's what people are interested in mm-hmm. uh is that they all they all do some form of meditation right and you know, I, I have always thought of it as this this Zen calm thing that brings order and calm to your life, not this thing that you do to help you go change the world. So, looking at it from that perspective certainly makes it more um, more appealing to me. And then, like you said, the Headspace app—I haven't used that myself, but I'm, mm-hmm. I would like to investigate it because a lot of times it's just the "am I doing this wrong" concern when you're sitting there that just makes keeps people away from it.
2: Yeah, it's that same thing of like, well. Like I want to know what running shoe I need before I'm going to go running or right. what's, the, what's the ultimate Garmin watch that I need to buy. And these are all excuses that we come up with that just prevent us from going outside and going running. And it's similar with meditation. It's more profound with meditation because it is kind of a mystery for most people and people don't really know how to do it. They don't understand it. It seems too ephemeral and they want to know exactly the hows and the whys before they begin. Um, and I think it's just like running, you just start, you know, and you don't overthink it and the Headspace app, you know, there's plenty of others. I'm not like, you know, it's not like, you know, that's the only way to do it. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's a good place to start for people if they want to just check it out, they have questions and, and and it's a great way to kind of just ease into it and, and remove all that kind of second guessing because he'll just tell you exactly what to do. Mm -hmm.
1: All right, Rich, so this has been great. Um, one more thing before we before we get into a few more details about the book, just to wrap it up, but mm-hmm. uh, life hacking. We've mentioned it a few times. I know uh-huh. it's one of your big things, um, <laughs> I mean, that you're against. Um, can you just kind of send us off with that? I mean, I think you mentioned it in a few of your talks, and it it, it runs through everything you do. It runs through the, the the approach to nutrition, what you said about training for a marathon. I mean, you could do it really fast with, with a, a CrossFit endurance program, or you could kind of... Not try to hack it and just right. do something that sets you up for success long term. Um, why don't you just take
2: it away there? <sighs> How do I articulate this properly? Um,
1: 140 characters. Yeah, I mean, well I think
2: it, again, you know, like I'm not again, I'm not against a life hack. I like the life hack thing. All kind of, I mean, Tim Ferriss didn't invent it, but he certainly popularized it um, through the books that he's written. Um, and I think the idea that he was proposing is sound. And that idea is look at your life, look where you're wasting time, and let's figure out ways of working around that and create efficiencies so that you have freed up time to invest in the thing that is most meaningful for you. So when you hear about the four hour work week and you look at the cover and there's a guy lying in a hammock, that's not really Tim's ethos. Yeah, right. You know, Tim's ethos is stop wasting time on bs that's not moving your life in the direction that you want so that you have the ability to focus on the things that you really want to do with your life in a productive functional way and and for that i think it's i'm all for that i'm absolutely for that but i think what happens is it gets it gets twisted and and so suddenly it becomes all about like you know shortcuts to everything like what's the quickest way that i can cross the finish, you know, what's the least amount of training that I need to invest in to cross the finish line at a marathon? What is the least amount of attention that I need to devote to X to achieve Y? And I think when you start to develop that mindset, especially with something that's important to you, then you're missing the point of the whole thing. Because for me, the joy and the happiness and the growth comes with the struggle you know ryan holiday wrote a book it's called the obstacle is the way mm-hmm. and i believe and i think that that's that's a very astute approach to life you know we live in this um world in which we prioritize comfort and convenience and security it's all about you know getting the most comfortable couch and the biggest widescreen tv possible and loading it up with video games and tivo and making sure you have the snacks and you know you never have to leave your house right and And this is not making us happy. (laughs) This is not a recipe for happiness. Happiness comes through grappling with those obstacles like meeting challenges, being uh, unafraid to fail, um, and failing and struggling with that and what it means for you. So in other words, it's, it's the journey that's most meaningful and every single person who's successful in any capacity, whether you're an entrepreneur or an athlete or an artist, when they look back on their career or you listen to an interview or a podcast interview and, and somebody asks them, you know, what do you remember about the journey, you know, of getting to where you are? Or what's it like to sit on a billion dollars or be an Olympic gold medalist? You know, oftentimes, you know, the Richard Bransons of the world will remember most fondly when they were eating Chinese takeout dinner in yep. a garage and you know, and they had two dollars in their pocket and – and that's that's what gives them joy and gives them pride because they know what they had to undergo to get where they are you know if you're standing on the podium getting your gold medal certainly that's a memorable event but when you're 85 years old and you're thinking back you're going to remember that day that you didn't want to wake up and go to morning swim practice at 4:30 and you did anyway and that's what gives it meaning and that's what allows you to really uh i think grow as a human being it's that struggle. And, you know, Julie, my wife, always says, don't de- don't deprive somebody of their sacred moment. And, you know, as we've gone through some difficult economic times, uh, you know, people have had hardships and they've lost their jobs or their houses or, or what have you. And, you know, these are difficult things to weather, but they're also opportunities, you know, opportunities to reevaluate your life or create a new trajectory. And they should be, embraced. You know, we we're too quick to put value judgments on things that happen to us, whether they're good or bad. We immediately label them and we're doing so without any true evidence <laughs> as to what they are. And when I look back on my life, I mean, all I have to go on is my own experience. Anytime something happened to me that I thought at the time was completely cataclysmic and the worst thing possible, I look back on it now and I'm like, "Thank God that happened." You know, because that allowed me to now move uh, in this direction, where I get to sit down and talk to you, so it's the journey, man. It's the journey. Invest in it, right? Yeah.
1: Perfect way to end it, Rich. Um, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Uh, if anyone's listening to this and somehow has avoided hearing about the Ritual Podcast up until this point, check it out. I mean, it's it's just tons of conversations that are that are in depth, many more in depth than this, mm-hmm. uh, about topics far beyond food and fitness, but also including food and fitness. So uh, do that, and then the book, The Plant Power Way, comes out April twenty eighth. 2015 correct
2: that's right april 28th we actually have uh some pretty awesome pre-order giveaways and bundles so if you pre-order the book uh before then you get tons of cool stuff and you can find out more about that on my website richroll.com we have a cool trailer video and you can kind of survey all the gifts and giveaways and we're going to be giving away some cooler stuff on the podcast over the next couple weeks so tune in and maybe win a vitamix
1: all right, cool, very cool. I can't wait to get a hard copy of the book. Like I said, it's beautiful. It's it's stuffed with information, and uh, I think I think you're on to something here. I mean, what you, with what you what you held back in in finding Ultra, uh, is it seems to be what's here. It's it's the nuts and bolts of kind of how you do things. And I think people are are dying to get that. So I have no doubt it's going to be a huge success.
2: Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time. I love what you do. And you know, we've talked offline about that, but I have a lot of respect for the community that you've built through No Meat Athlete and how it continues to expand and grow. And You've done it with uh, with decorum and with dignity, and uh, it's it's just super cool to watch. So it's an honor to talk to you, and I appreciate the time.
1: Cool, thanks so much, Rich. Coming from you, that means a tremendous amount. So thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. All right, right. peace. Plants. Plants.
0: No, I really I really loved what Rich had to say in that in that section of the interview because right now you know I'm training for a 24 hour run and I'm having to really focus on that aerobic zone 2 training you know it's just the slow slog but I need to make sure that those miles are are productive and not junk miles but and they're productive in building my endurance and building my strength so I don't I really liked what he had to say there and that's that's good training advice for sure
1: Yeah I like it too because it's uh it's sort of an excuse to not have to run fast <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole the whole point of running. Oh it is. the whole point of watching running. Um yeah, we t- in the Q&A yesterday we talked about that that the spirit of ultra running was that it was extremely difficult and extremely rewarding, but maybe maybe an alternative spirit of ultra running is that you don't have to do any speed work. Yeah, for <laughs> running for the lazy person, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's a joke, but that is sort of what has happened to me as a runner. That yeah. I I was really like into training hard and being the best runner I could be and qualifying for Boston. And I did that, and it was great. And then I got into ultra running. And, like, it it still has been great because I, I got to run 50 miles and then 100 miles. And those were certainly tests and very difficult things and every bit as scary as trying to qualify for Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, like, from the very beginning, when I started ultra running, the group that I ran with also always went and got beers afterwards. <laughs> and it just sort of, like, set the tone for, like, what ultra running yeah, would yeah. be. And it's now – it's been a long time, and I haven't done – a speed like go to a track and and run 400 meter workouts and all that right i mean that i have really fond memories of doing that but when i think about actually doing that and what it actually felt like <laughs> it's hard for me to get back to that because that is painful and hard yeah and uh that's that's why i want to run a marathon this year and, and get back to that but it, it is really hard just to but,
0: get back to that you know but it's painful for a short amount of time we, we talked about this a few episodes ago about how how hard a 5k was how much like yeah. the suffering on that 5k was and I think it kind of depends on who you are and who you are as a runner. But I would so oh. much rather be in slight discomfort for five hours, you know, a five-hour long run than total, you know, <laughs> right. pain, screaming pain in your legs for, for 25 minutes or whatever. <laughs> it's not just about twenty-one. Like thing. if you
1: if it was – what if it had nothing to do with running and it was just I'm going to put you in slight discomfort, you know, strap you down on a bed and then, you know – do what, do what needs to be done to put you in slight discomfort uh, for five hours or just get over with for 20 minutes of, of something something similar to a 5K. I feel like a lot of people would choose the 5K. I would just get it over with. At the same time, I would choose a five-hour run over really hard 5K because there's an enjoyment that you get out of it, right? right. There's also <laughs> that's big, true. Yeah, whereas that's the 5K, true. at least I don't get any enjoyment out of while I'm running a 5K. Afterwards, maybe some if I ran a fast time or something. Mm-hmm. But at least the, you know, at least you kind of enjoy something. <laughs> something about a five-hour run. No, that's
0: true. That, no, that's that's a that's a definitely a good point. I'm just trying
1: to say it's not it's not all about comparing these two pains. It's that the one pain also comes with some form of pleasure? Maybe maybe the five k does too for some people.
0: Yeah. But, so I mean, you want to get back to that pain? You want
1: to? Not five k pain, but uh, marathon pain. It'd be nice to it'd be nice to just. I mean, you know, when you string together a bunch of workouts like that over the course of twelve or sixteen weeks, and you look at this body of work that you've built up training for something i i feel good about that like the, i've i loved the the training of of trying to qualify for boston yeah. did not like any individual workouts <laughs> but just the big picture looking back yeah, and saying this is no, what i totally did. totally of course that's good yeah anyway uh so that's that's the spirit of ultra running not having to do speed work drinking beer <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with with uh fulfillment or going after big goals or anything like that no nothing at all okay so that uh, that was our part two hope you enjoyed it with Rich Roll don't forget check out his book The Plant Power Way it's at his website richroll.com lots of good stuff if you pre-order before it comes out on April 28th and second reminder is this was a No Athlete Academy seminar our most recent one we do these kinds of things pretty much every month or we do do them every month um and we're going to have details in the next next week's episodes about how you can actually join. We've been fo- talking about it now for for four episodes and uh next time we'll uh we'll be back with with the actual details so you can you can think about joining us for this year. All right. Anything else Doug? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to everybody soon. All right. Take care.